Good morning, everyone. As Tono said, yeah, there's a lot of new faces. My name is Wiseman. Um, serve here at the church. Don't let the name fool you, though. Um, there is a lot of wisdom here. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Um, anyway, I just want to start us off with uh, a bit of a story. Ooh. <coughs> Sound like I'm in an empty hall. I want to start us off with a bit of a story. So when I was growing up, I used to, this is, this is a confession, I, I, I used to buy those counterfeit DVDs that the, that the guys would sell at the robots, you know. Um, going to the movies wasn't a luxury I could afford at the time. And so in order to keep up with all of my friends, I was like, okay, I know exactly where I'm going to find this movie. But the thing about counterfeit, I mean, has anyone ever seen a counterfeit DVD? Hands? Thank you, I'm not the only one. <laughs> The thing about the kind of a DVD is you'll get to see the movie, but it's, it's like, uh, you get a hand waving in the end of the movie. <laughs> like, there's just something that's, it's not nice when you got something that's inauthentic and you feel it with shoes. I mean, imagine if you buy inauthentic Nikes, you know, like those shoes that says Mike. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, they look all right, but, but you know, you just, you're not going to go floss with those things. You're not going to go out and brag with those things, you know, and so... Um, but the idea that I'm getting at here is that there's something of value when something is authentic. And, um, and as we get into the passage, that's exactly what James really wants us to see. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read, and then we'll dive in. Is that cool? Please say yes. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your word. In your word, Father, you have revealed to us what your will is. Thank you that you are committed to us, not only to save us, but to sanctify us and to cause us to walk in obedience to you. As we read this passage, as I preach, God, would you move among us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, I'm reading... From James chapter 2, verse 14, all the way down to 26. Um, This is a passage, by the way, that one of my lecturers uh, gave to me to preach on. And when he told us that we're going to be preaching through the book of James, it was one of the passages I was just like, oh, please don't give me this one. Please don't give me this one. Just give me chapter 1. Chapter 1 is nice. And then, lo and behold, I I pulled out my name, and I got James chapter 2, 14, verse 26. It is a convicting passage and an encouraging passage, and so I hope that you guys are encouraged as much as I was when um, I just got to prepare it. Um, so I just want to get into some context here. Um, by the way, you, know, you guys know that James, not James, uh, Doug and Quint are on holiday at the moment, and so now imagine if one of those guys were stuck somewhere, like the third wave happened, and they were stuck wherever they were at the coast, and they couldn't get back, and then you guys were just stuck here with me. Uh, <laughs> now, And then obviously they're down there at the coast and then we're carrying on with our lives and then they obviously hear how we're doing and it's not going well. Not that it won't go well with me, but it's just not going well. Um, This is the case here with this letter. Um, Churches, this community of believers, they're spread out everywhere and James kind of gets word that, okay, things aren't going well here. And so he writes this this letter to them. He says, um, we know that James, by the way, James is the brother of Jesus. He's the author of this letter. Um, and you can read all about them in the book of Acts. And then we know, again, that he's writing Jewish Christian, to Jewish Christians. And one of the reasons he writes to them, he wants to encourage them to keep growing in their faith. The letter covers 
a number of topics um, that are all related to each other and which are also relevant for us today and, and is really helpful for us because much of what he says in this passage in particular and in the whole letter itself is really applicable for us. Um, in the first chapter, James covers, or he talks about basically everything that he's going to be expounding on. You know, he talks about the testing of faith, receiving wisdom by faith, being a doer of God's word, and he talks about what authentic faith is, which is what we're going to be touching on today. Um, but the important thing to remember that I want to sort of keep in mind, as I go through this passage, I just want us to keep in mind that James is writing to Christians here. These are Jewish Christians who are living outside of Palestine, and he wants them to keep growing in their faith. He wants them to have a faith that will bring glory to God and show love to others. And so he writes them this wonderful letter. Yeah. And so now as we come to our passage, I pick it up from verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by, the, by, by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now in James 14, James opens with two sarcastic questions there. He says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, I'm a direct guy, and I love how direct James is being here with his rhetorical questions. He's making faith a, a, a salvation issue. And I'll explain what I mean by faith as a salvation issue in a minute. But I just want to say that all throughout the letter, James confronts his audience for the inconsistencies of their behavior on the basis of their profession of faith. They profess that they, they, profess that they have faith, but he's heard about the inconsistency of their behavior. If you read in, cha in James chapter 1, he talks about their attitude towards difficult circumstances. In chapter 2, just before, just above here, you'll read 
how he rebukes them for favoritism. They're showing favoritism in the church. Now, I grew up in a church like this where they had seats for celebrities, you know, and no one was allowed to sit in those seats. If, if, if you dare sat there, they had these huge guys. Like, if you think I'm big, imagine you see these guys. Like, they were ready to lay their hands on you, and it wasn't going to be for prayer, you know. For, like, <laughs> and, but this is what was happening here. James heard of all the inconsistencies and is confronting the understanding of what faith is. Now, we can, we can try to rephrase the first, we can try to rephrase this first verse in the following way. Is it good to claim to have faith but not have works? This is how James is making faith a salvation issue. He acknowledges that, he acknowledges that yeah, they have a claim of faith, but then he starts asking questions around it. And if you look in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 1, he's talking about faith in Jesus Christ here. These guys are claiming to have faith in Jesus Christ. They say, he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. These guys here are claiming that, okay, no, we have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And they, and, and they do. And James acknowledges that, but then he says, prove it. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, where's your works? That's where James is going in here. That's the point he's trying to make. Faith in Christ must have works. Now, I want to say something that I'm going to clarify in my next point. But James is not teaching some false doctrine about salvation by works here. James is not saying that you're saved by just your works here. There's nothing that James is teaching in this book that is not found somewhere else in the Scriptures. James says if you have faith in Jesus, there must be works. And Jesus says the same thing. If you read in Matthew 5, from verse, if you read in Matthew 5 from verse 15, he says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not the people who say, Lord, Lord. It's the people who say, Lord, Lord, and do. And so, if we think about James' questions in the beginning, we can easily answer them. It's not good to have faith and not have works. And it's not good because that faith cannot save. In the following two verses, James tries to emphasize the pointlessness of claiming to have faith without works. He gives an example that would have captured the imagination of his audience. And, and an example is, is an example of caring for the poor. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Now, caring for the poor in the Jewish community back then was one of their greatest characteristics. We see evidence of this in Acts. If you, you can turn back to the book of Acts in chapter 245. It says, now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. If you are a fan of church history like I am, you know that the Christian, uh, the Christian community's love for the poor was so significant that even Roman emperors would acknowledge it. One Roman emperor 
One Roman emperor acknowledges that one of the main reasons that Christianity was so attractive in those days was because of how they cared and loved for the poor. He was quoted saying, when our priests neglected and overlooked the poor, I think the Christians observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. These Christians not only supported their own poor, but ours as well. Like these guys were known for loving and caring for the poor. It was seen. And so James uses his example because it's a deeply personal one. It's kind of like, it's kind of like exercise here in Parkhurst. People, in, people in our church take the exercise really seriously. I mean, I, I know of guys who like to go for trail runs. Tony's got a homemade gym. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strava and vitality points are integral parts of our conversations. <laughs> so by using this very relevant example of a fellow Christian who's naked and hungry, James is driving home the pointlessness of claiming faith without works. In the same way that people in our church are always doing some form of exercise or pretending that they are, a Christian in that, in that context and community would have known that he can't just say, he can't just give this person a nice comment and just leave them there. That wasn't indicative of that community. And James is saying to them, in the same way that you know that words of comfort are useless to a hungry and naked person, a claim of faith without works is just as useless. What does that mean for us? I think these opening verses are an invitation. When we come to this, when we come to this passage as we read them, it's an invitation for us to evaluate. It's an invitation for us to evaluate what do we understand about our own faith. And we can start examining ourselves. And that's good. That, that's biblical. That's right. We can wrestle and examine ourselves. Beautiful Eulogy has a beautiful eulogy. It's a Christian, it's a Christian song group. They have a song called Devotion. Sorry, my notes are going to go. They have a song called Devotion. And in it, it talks about faith. And this is what they say. And this is so helpful for us to evaluate what faith is. It says, faith is not the cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it. It's not a holy hoping for the best. It's not a call to believe in something when common sense tells you not to. It's not a mindless stab in the dark or a crossing of the fingers. Faith is not a leap into apparent nothingness. It's important for us to understand that claims of faith are only as good as the foundations upon which they stand. Upon which, upon the evidence upon which they stand. If we say we have faith in Christ, there must be evidence. If we say we have faith in Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who creates all things in heaven and on earth. He holds all things together. He's the one whom God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him reconcile all things in heaven and on earth. by sending him to die on a cross. Authentic faith in that guy, it's always going to produce works. That's got to move us. 
And James proves that in the rest of the passage, which leads me to my next point, which is we are justified by faith and works. In verse 18, you'll see that James anticipates some pushback. He says, you have faith and I have works. Now, if you read the whole letter, like this, this pushback makes sense. You know, there were so much inconsistencies with, the, with these guys. They were certain that their conduct and expression of faith was legit, that James even anticipates a pushback that's biblical. I mean, if you read, like, you, you can read the idea of this pushback in, in, in Paul's teaching to the Corinthian church, which this community would have known. When he, says, when, when he says, you have faith and I have works, the idea of this claim is the assumption that different people have different gifts. And if you want to read more about it, you can read 1 Corinthians 12. It's there. But James doesn't back down from what he's saying here. He sticks to his guns and he says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. By doing this, James offers us and his original audience, a different way to understand faith. You see the first part of the verse where he says, you have faith and I have works. Faith and works are separate. They're separate aspects from the Christian life. And this is how these guys were living. They claimed that they have faith, but they were bickering amongst each other. They were talking badly amongst each other. I mean, you can read this whole letter. I really want to encourage you to read the whole letter. You'll see it's a bit of a mess here, and it's no different from what we have here. So in that first part, faith and works are seen as separate aspects of the Christian life. But when James says, I'll show you my faith by my works, James makes faith and works an inseparable aspect of the Christian life. James acknowledges, yes, there's faith, and there's works. Those are elements of authentic faith. But the point that he's getting across here is that when it comes to salvation, faith and works are inseparable. It's like going swimming in a pool that has no water. You can't claim that you're swimming in a pool that has no water. That's not swimming. That's chilling in a hole. Yeah. No, for real. <laughs> But when I thought about that, I was like, yeah, that's such a great idea. Yeah. I mean, we've done that before. Let's go swimming. We're just chilling in a hole. I was a kid, obviously, but anyway. But that's the point that James is trying to get across here. He's disputing the idea that faith is separate from works. These aren't separate gifts. He insists that people who claim to have faith, they must have works. When he says, show me your faith, he's not actually saying... He's not actually saying, oh, yes, there, must be, there might be faith that is without works. He's saying, no. That is not faith. Again, this is a call for us to evaluate. Authentic faith, faith that is proven by works, has eternal consequences. Faith in Jesus must lead us to obedience. It must. Now, before I explain what that looks like, with the examples that James gives us here in the passage, I just want to make a quick comment on James's view of justification. If you don't know what justification means, I'm talking about what, what makes us right before God, what actually saves us from, from our sin. And here, in our context, most of us accept that God's love, that God loves us, and we are saved by grace through faith. And I think that's cool. That's, 
that's a cool thing that we acknowledge here in our context, that God loves us and we are saved by grace through faith. But in verse 24 of our passage, you'll read that it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now I think, now, actually I know that this verse rubs some of us the wrong way. And I think it's because one of the dispositions that we operate out of in this context is that we want to be loved and accepted at face value. We want to be loved and accepted for the perceptions that we project without being held accountable. I say this because I think that most of us in this context miss the fact that God's love, grace, and forgiveness that he reveals through our Lord Jesus Christ comes with a responsibility for those who accept it. With great forgiveness comes great responsibility. And this is where James is pressing in here. James's view on justification doesn't contradict any teaching in the Bible. If you're a Christian, our salvation is a gift from God through Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. And God gives this to us as a gift because we are his handiwork created in, created in Christ to do good works which he prepared for us beforehand. <coughs> Ephesians, 10, Ephesians 2 verse 10. Our faith must have works. Now thankfully James has given us examples of what this might look like. And this will be my last point for today the proof that we are justified by works. In the passage, we have three examples. One of them is negative, but all of them have really some good practical applications for us. And I'll start with the negative one, and I call this one demonic faith. Ooh. Now, in, in verse 19, you'll see, <laughs> you'll see that James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The words that he uses in this verse here are known as the Shema. This was an Old Testament. They're known as the Shema. This was an Old Testament confession that was recited at least three times a day um, in those days. People would wake up in the morning and they'd recite the Shema. Before they go to church or before they go to the temple, they would recite the Shema. Before they leave their house, before they come back into their house, they recite the Shema. The words are, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They recited this every day. This was part of just the normal way of life here. This was the religion, the, relig the ritual. But more significantly for us and this community that James is writing to is that Jesus himself affirmed the Shema. He affirmed the Shema and he added it and it's now become what we know as the greatest commandments. Which are? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So the people that James is writing to, they would have affirmed this. They would have affirmed the Shema in this way that Jesus has developed it. It recited every day, but their problem is what? Their works were bad. And, we, and, and then he mocks them, saying, the demons believe that God is one. And they respond. 
for me, it's a bit comical when I see that. I'm like, oh, wow. If I was a Jew reading this, I'd just be like, what? How dare you? Mm-hmm. you know? And we know this to be true. We know that demons respond to Jesus. They know who he is. We're going through the book of Mark right now. And if you turn to the first chapter of Mark, in verse 24, you'll see there's a man there possessed in a demon, and the demon runs to Jesus and says what? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. If you've read the Gospels, or if you're planning to read the Gospels, you'll see all throughout the Gospels, the demons know who Jesus is. They're the first ones to say it. You are the Holy One of God. They confess that Jesus is Lord, and they respond in fear and rebellion. Their faith is not a saving faith. And sadly, we know people who fall into this category. James is making a a bold statement saying, claims that have no works, to back it up, they fall into this category. They don't save. The next example he gives us is a positive example. Read in verse 21, he gives us the example of Abraham, our father. He says, he says, was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? <clears throat> now, Abraham was more than just an ancestor here. For this Jewish community, Abraham was the father of their nation. He was Nelson Mandela. <laughs> and, the word, and, he says, and he says, Abraham was justified by works. And the works he refers to is when Abraham willingly agreed to go kill his son and offer him up as a burnt offering. Imagine how intense that day was. You can find the story in Genesis 22, but the summary of it is that God God tested Abraham one of these days and um, told him he needs to go up and kill his son in some mountain and offer him up as a burnt offering. And Abraham didn't delay. The very next morning, got his son, took a couple of servants with him, and went. Now, thankfully, God intervened before Isaac was killed because who knows how the story would have turned out. But the point is, Abraham believed God. Abraham received a command from God to do something that crazy, and Abraham believed God. And his faith in God was evident by his obedience. He still trusted that God would make him into a great nation despite Beautiful eulogy makes the same point in this song. They say authentic faith is not merely believing in God. It's believing God. Taking God at his word and living in obedience to his revelation, whatever the cost, because you know deep down in your bones that God will always do what he says. That his speaking is his doing. Abraham believed God in this way. He trusted that the one who commands him is the God of the universe. And he was resolved to be obedient to him. By his obedience, by his obedience to God, Abram proved that he had faith in God. And this was what made him righteous before God. Our last example is Rahab. You can read that in verse 25. It says Rahab in the same way. <coughs> was, was, it says, and in the same way, was not 
Was not Rahab also, the, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way? You can read the story of Rahab the prostitute in Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2, but what's significant about her story is that she's not like Abraham. She's a Gentile. Not only is she a Gentile like us, she's a prostitute from Jericho. And in the story you'll see that everybody else in her city heard about God and what God had done in Israel and how God had taken care, or in Egypt rather, and how God had taken care of Israel throughout this. But unlike everyone else in her city, she believed God. She disobeyed the authorities of her own city and she believed God. And this is, this is what Joshua 2 verse 11 says. It says, And as soon as we heard of what the Lord had done, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in the men. Because of you, for the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. It was on the basis of this confession that Rahab acted. She believed this, that the God that the Israelites worship, the one who's taking care of them is the God above and the God on earth. And she believed God. Her faith in God led her to obey. Both Abraham and Rahab were justified because they acted in light of who they believed. One is a patriarch and one is a prostitute and it's kind of like they form a spectrum for us and everybody else fits in the middle of that. They both had faith and they believed God and they were both honored the same way for their faith. What does this mean for us today? Well, there's only two options really. It's either you rebel against God or you live in obedience to Him. But what will determine that is what you believe about God. If God truly is the God in heaven above the earth and the God who dwells and reigns here below, if he truly is who he says he is, you'll either worship him or live in rebellion against him. If you're a Christian here today, the object of your faith is Jesus Christ. You can look at the cross and see God's justice against your sin and see his mercy his love and his grace and so much more and all of that should motivate you to keep living in repentance and faith what God has done for you on the cross is what animates you to keep moving forward by faith that's obedience. But if you're not a Christian, listen to this. I want you to know that faith is not trying to clean yourself up. It's not you trying to get yourself right before you come to the cross. Rahab was a prostitute. God hates sin. And that's why he dealt with it on the cross. Faith is believing God that he really did that. Whatever shame might be holding you back, God has dealt with that. And he did that for you. 
And you too can walk in obedience today. That's the hope that we have in this passage. Our faith must have works. And I pray that God would move among us and help us to continue to respond in faith and it is seen and shown in our works. Thank you, God, for how we have this hope in you. In Jesus' name.